thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. you've ever been on a trip and sat in stony silence in the car because someone involved in the planning had made a serious faux pas with your holiday plans. Uh, Maybe a wrong turn was taken when the map or GPS was ignored, or an important hotel reservation was never actually made, that final OK wasn't pressed, uh, wasn't clicked, or uh, maybe there would be an anticipated restaurant that one of you was really looking forward to, someone in your group or party, and it hadn't turned out to be as good as you'd hoped. Have you ever sat with those disasters on travel and the stony silence that comes in between you? Imagine what it was like with Abram and Sarai as they journeyed back to Egypt. Abram's deception, which had ended in his wife being married off to Pharaoh, and their expulsion from Egypt had unraveled spectacularly in the passage we looked at last week. It's been a nightmare end to a journey or move. I expect that Sarai's response should rightfully have been more than some stony silence for Abram as they made their way home to Canaan. Having deceived Pharaoh, now Abram returns to Canaan before he strikes strife with Lot when he gets there, and then he has to decide how he's going to respond. Will he respond with faith or by sight? And finally, his response means that God draws near to Abram and a promise is renewed. That's where we're going this morning as we chart our way through this passage. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word and that you speak to us by it in the power of your Holy Spirit. As we journey with Abram again this week, would you help us to understand faith and sight so that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you? We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, Well, despite the awkwardness of that journey back to Canaan, God has been very gracious in delivering Abram and Sarai from Pharaoh's hand. Now with the threat of derailing God's promise well and truly dealt with, they make their way back to a place where they've been before. They go back to the Negev Desert. And Abram and his people, they fled from there because of famine. Now we're not sure if there's still famine in the land or not, but regardless, this is where they come back to. They come back to a place they already know. Uh, Early in this passage in verse 1, we're reminded that Lot, Abram's nephew, is there with him. Now, he is an important person for us to remember. He went into Egypt with them, and he's coming back to Canaan with them. Now, this is important for us to tuck away, because God's promise that Abram will be a great nation and blessing to all people on earth actually hinges on Lot at this time. With no children of their own, Lot is Abram and Sarai's heir. He is the one who will continue their family name. And he stands to inherit everything from them, and it's a great deal, we see in verse 2. Abram's brought with him all of his ill-gotten gains, the bride price and the, um, the favor that was given to him by Pharaoh. And you see that he's got this because he's married off his own wife to her after that great deception. And he has silver and gold, and he's got herds of camels and sheep and donkeys, or flocks of sheep, not herds of sheep. There'll be farmers out there that'll be bristling 
John Burrow won't let me away with that one. With Sarai and Lot and all of their immense wealth, they come and they settle in this place near Bethel and Ai. Now it's familiar territory for Abram. He's been here before. It's here in this same spot he returns to that he built an altar. This is where he worshipped Yahweh and pledged his allegiance to him. And he does the same thing again. He calls on the name of the Lord, verse 4. After his fear, overruling his faith in Egypt, Abram recommits himself to God. He's seen afresh God's faithfulness in freeing them from the dire situation which was his own making. It's a stark contrast to his time in Egypt, where he'd had everything sewed up, do you remember, by his own clever planning. He never once consulted God or called on God for help. And with this recommitment, this calling on the name of the Lord again, he makes a new beginning. Abram's God still allows for new beginnings, doesn't he? When we recognize the futility of our resting control and the choices we make when we don't trust the promises of God, we're still able to return to him and ask for his forgiveness. We seek the face of Jesus and ask God's Holy Spirit to empower us more and more to live lives of repentance. Maybe some of us have never made that request. It's possible to be in or around church our whole lives or to have never even darkened the door of the place before. But if we put our trust in him, whether we've been here our whole lives or never turned up in a church before, he will give us a wonderful new start. We can be born again, the scriptures tell us. We can be made new, reset and restored, a people with a brand new beginning, no matter what we've done in our past. If we put our trust in Jesus, God is quick to forgive. He gives us a brand new beginning. In Abram's new beginning, he isn't the only one to have done well for himself in Egypt. Lot has also benefited. But sadly, it's their wealth which looks like is going to come between them and cause great strife. It is their finances and their wealth that will be their undoing. Lot and Abram both have such vast herds and flocks that the land itself isn't actually able to support them any longer. Their need for grazing pasture and for water for all of those animals starts to drive a rift between them and between their herdsmen. And so in verse 7 we see that quarrelling arises between these two different family groups. Despite their family bond coming from the same family line, the pressure on the land is just too great for them. And it's not just Lot and Abram that live in this area. We see as well the Canaanites and the Perizzites, who are the original inhabitants of the land, are also there. And being the original inhabitants, they're much more likely to have the choicest pastures. And not only that, they have the ability to defend that land. Until this land is eventually conquered by Israel, the same tension is always going to exist between the people in this land. It is good and productive, but attention is there. The other tribes, other than Abram's people who are present and controlling the land, its resources, make it very difficult for the people to grow into a great nation. They're going to keep them within a box. The stress on the land and the conflict it causes is an unhappy situation, and it brings Abram to the crunch point the point where his faith in God's faithfulness will be tested again. 
tested like the precious gold and silver that he's brought with him from Egypt. Standing in his shoes and surveying the land, anyone can see where the choicest grazing land is. It's off to the east on the plain of the Jordan. It's outside the land that he's been promised. It is so productive, so lush and fertile that it's likened to the Garden of Eden in verse 10. It's watered like Egypt where they've just come from during that time of famine, where they found prosperity and grew. The dust bowl that he's standing in is nowhere near as productive as the green pastures he can see elsewhere. And so this conflict, it gives Abram a choice. Will he leave the land that God has promised him to prosper even more in greener pastures, somewhere where it's easier to live, somewhere more pleasing to the eye, where life will be so much more straightforward for him? Or will he stay and trust the promise of God? Have you ever been tempted to seek greener pastures, to pick up and move away from Jesus so that you don't have to struggle anymore? The Christian life is a struggle, isn't it? It can feel barren at times. The world laughs at us. We are told these days that we're on the wrong side of history. We can feel isolated and alone in our faith, not sure what to say to people who don't follow Jesus or when to say it. It's uncomfortable, isn't it, to be a follower of Jesus? But that discomfort isn't new for Christians. I want us to consider the struggle in the church in 2 Corinthians 5, which we heard read this morning. How tempting it must have been for those Christians to go back on their commitment to follow Jesus as time went on and he didn't return. There was a huge appeal for them to return to their pagan lives that were just so much easier than living the Christian way. They were constantly having to go against the flow of their culture. If they just gave in and went back to their pagan lives, they could eat whatever they wanted. Their jobs would be secure. They could go and join in at their friends' houses again where sacrifices and offerings to gods were made. Men and women could take romantic partners apart from their husbands and wives. That was totally culturally acceptable. You weren't going to get drummed out of town and forced to move. You didn't have to uproot your family to escape the persecution that was coming. Sounds pretty appealing, doesn't it? To give up and go back to the pagan way of life instead of facing all of that constant pressure. It was pretty appealing to seek greener pastures especially when heads started to roll of people who followed Jesus. What could those Christians see as they stood and surveyed the landscape around them? They could see threats at every corner. They could see their business drying up as people chose not to trade with them because they were considered to be atheists. They could see jobs disappearing and families threatened. They could see lives lost by execution at the hands of the empire. Looks like a barren desert, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like the promised land. It doesn't sound like life in all its fullness, the thing that Jesus has promised us. And so in this difficult time, Paul encourages them to fix their eyes on Jesus and the wonderful promises that he has made, not to look at their situation here and now. 
Friends, if we want to endure in the Christian faith, if we want to stand firm and have our faith make a real difference, we have got to hold fast to the promises of God. Not trusting in what we can do, not trusting in our works, but in his tremendous grace to us. God promises to forgive our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He forgives the biggest sins we've committed and the smallest ones. He forgives the sins that we committed long ago and the ones that we haven't committed yet. God promises that he will never forsake us. Even if everyone else abandons us because of our faith. And so he tells us, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? God promises to hear our prayers when we cry out to him. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. God promises to meet all of our needs when we are worried. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For the, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. God promises to work all things for our good, even the disasters in our lives that we wish that we could undo. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do we see these promises coming true right here and now? Not always. We live with a tension, don't we, that Jesus has already ushered in his reign when he was crucified, died, buried, and raised from the dead, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but his reign isn't yet fully inaugurated, and that causes our eyes to wander to greener pastures. The Corinthians were tempted to. Their lives were at risk for following Jesus, which is why Paul lays out the promise that they've received through Jesus' death and resurrection. If the perishable tent of their bodies is destroyed, they have a greater, sturdier, everlasting home to go to in the presence of God. And so do we if our trust is in Jesus. And that truth makes a difference. That allows us to live life in the here and now by faith, not focusing on what we see, not racing after greener pastures next door, but living with the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus in our thoughts and our conduct as his spirit works in us and helps us to live by faith, not by sight. Abram's faith, as he's standing in that dust bowl, and looking at greener pastures carries him through. Victor Hamilton summarizes the change in Abram beautifully. The Abram, now resettled in Canaan, contrasts sharply with the Abram in Egypt. 
He who earlier created strife now moves to nip strife in the bud. The manipulation that Abram formerly manifested now gives way to magnanimity. Abram has just seen God at work, redeeming him from an impossible situation, from that quagmire of deception which he had made. And so he's able to see that if God has promised him this land, then this land is where he will stay, despite what his eyes see. He graciously and freely gives Lot the right to choose and releases any part of the promised land to him. In doing this, he's, promised, uh, he's prepared to sacrifice what has been promised to him, knowing that God will keep his promise and restore all that he needs. Now, it's not surprising that Lot pursues the greenest option, which is outside of Canaan. But that pursuit comes with a danger he doesn't see. Verse 13, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are sinning greatly. The land looks greener, but it comes with a deadly threat. The people of that region have a culture that will aim to separate Lot from his God and living his way. He thinks he's walking into the best, but he's walking into a place that comes with dangers and strings attached. Friends, we have to be discerning as well. We have to examine the hooks that come with the catches that come with what look like green pastures. We have to have our eyes open to the dangers that lie in wait when we head for the path that looks better in our eyes than the path that Jesus calls us to. There's a warning for us here as we think about the danger that Lot walks into. Well, as Lot disappears to settle other lands, in a human way, so does Abram's future. See, until this point, Lot had been the heir apparent. He would be the one who childless Abram and Sarai would give everything to. He would inherit their wealth and continue the family line of Terah. Humanly speaking, Abram's just given up his best shot at seeing God's promise fulfilled. Their family line is no longer going to endure and be a blessing to all mankind without Lot's help. But as Abram chooses faith over what makes the most sense by sight, as he leaves the choicest land and an heir to carry on his family, God doesn't leave him high and dry. God's promise isn't derailed. God approaches Abram and speaks to him directly in verse 14, and he both reinforces and amplifies his promise to Abram. The whole land now, north and south and east and west, will be his. A day will come when the Canaanites and the Perizzites will be driven out from this land, and Abram's people will be the dominant force in the region. Despite his heir apparent leaving, Abram's descendants, he has promised, will be as numerous as the dust of the land that he stands in. Verse 16. And God has kept his promise to Abram. Not only have his own people grown in number, the sons of Abraham who live across the face of the globe, in the Lord Jesus, more and more people have been gathered in. On the face of the earth today, Abram has around 2.3 billion children adopted into his family through Jesus. He had no way of knowing how extensive his family would be. He couldn't even imagine a number like 2.3 billion. 
He had no idea how deep and vast and wide and high the following of Jesus would become. But he knew that the God who made his promise to him would never let him down. Like Abram, our faith makes a difference in times of conflict and strife. Friends, we can choose to trust God and like him turn away from conflict and trouble, knowing that he is faithful. We can exercise humility and generosity. We can rest from striving and works. We can set aside the need to rely on what we see, what looks like the best option, and seek Jesus' way instead. Church, when we are counting the cost in our own lives and together as a Christian community, when the pressure mounts and we are all too aware that God's kingdom isn't yet fully inaugurated among us, when you can't see the fullness of God's promises just yet, then remember Abram, who was learning more and more to rely on the promise of God and live by faith, not by sight. He didn't dig deep this time into his own plans or schemes or deceive like he had in Egypt. But he dug down deep into the promises of God. When life is tough and it feels like you are standing in a barren wasteland, then dig deep into the precious silver and gold which we have been given in the Lord Jesus who accepts us because of his grace, no matter how strong or weak our faith is. He will forgive our sins. He will never forsake us. He will hear our prayers and answer. He will meet our needs in this life. And he will work all things for our good. He will Save us when we put our trust and faith in him. He will keep his promises to all who trust in them, who trust in him. Why don't we pray and ask him to help us to trust? Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness, that week after week and year after year, You have remained faithful to your promises, never letting one of them fail. Lord, oftentimes when we look around us, we see trouble and calamity and strife and hurt and hardship in this life. We find ourselves coming up against pressures which threaten to overwhelm us and sink our faith. Lord, when that happens... Would you please, in the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to fix our eyes on you and have faith like Abram? Would you help us to remember that you will never forsake us, that you hear us, that you meet our needs, that you work for our good, and that when our trust is in you, you will forgive our sins? And as we hold fast, Lord, would you help us to live by faith and not by sight? We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa. You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening. Music